We've just been spending time in December just trying to marinate in the love of God. And so also just want to say thank you to you because we've been saying we didn't want to just do it for ourselves. We wanted it to go outside the four walls of this auditorium. And a lot of you jumped into our Adopt-A-Family initiative, giving gifts and gift cards to those who, who need it. And we had some, a lot of people up here yesterday did a special service. It was like 4,000 children and hot chocolate and cookies and Christmas trees and pictures, and it was beautiful. So thank you for being a part of that, letting the love of God uh, stream to our friends here in the house and outside of the house as well. Um, and more than anything, I hope throughout this series, you've had that thought, wow, I'm not going crazy. I'm not alone. Sometimes it is hard to receive that good news. And the, and the good news is, is that these people we've been studying every week in the scriptures, they themselves had a difficult time at times receiving this truth. And so I'd like to spend some time today talking about uh, maybe the most famous character outside of Jesus in the Christmas story, Mary. And we're gonna read a few verses here. I'd like to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of scripture and uh, let this truth just wash over you now. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Now, just think about these words real quick before you sit down. Favored one, perplexed. Lord, we're asking that you would let these truths resonate inside of these favored ones here today, no matter how perplexing that statement is. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take a seat. Now, before we dive into these truths, can I uh, tell you one of the craziest experiences my wife and I have ever had? Are you all okay with that? Now, I've got to take you back to about 2013, 14, somewhere around there, when this TV show was one of the hottest items on TV, all right? Anybody watch one of the like 20 seasons of Duck Dynasty? Anybody not watch this? You've got some catching up to do over these holidays, okay? Um, stumbled upon this with, you know, Phil and Miss Kay and Uncle Cy and Willie and Jace, and we fell diehard into this, into this show as a family. Even went to West Monroe, Louisiana to go to the store, hoping we'd meet them. We didn't. I came home from work, however, one day on my birthday, only to find my family dressed up as all these characters, and they dressed me up in, as, uh, as Willie here. And so you see on the left, my son is like, you know, there's Uncle Cy. Miss Kay is just precious, isn't she down here at the bottom? And so to say that we were obsessed is an understatement, all right? Now, a couple of years passes, and I get a phone call from a buddy of mine I used to mentor here at the church. And he says, hey, man, I've really gotten into blogging, and I want you to know I just wrote a blog post about you. There's this organization in the blog world that did a competition about writing a blog post about your mentor that impacted you, and I wrote it about you. And I was like, oh, shucks, you know, thank you so much. And he says, well, I, I'm going to send it to you, so I wanted you to be expecting that email. I thought it might encourage you, but I need to tell you something. He said, the winner of this competition actually gets an all-expense-paid cruise for them and the mentor they wrote about. And it's not just any cruise, it's actually a Duck Dynasty cruise with the characters from Duck Dynasty. To which I said, what are our chances? And he said, not good. And I was like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> so lo and behold, two weeks later, 
I don't just get the encouragement email, I get the notification, his blog post won, and that Blair and I will be joining the Duck Dynasty cast for a few days on this, this cruise, okay? I mean, I could tell stories about this cruise for days, but I won't. I'll just say, we're walking up to the cruise ship, and I mean, Lee Greenwood's out there, y'all remember him? And I'm proud to be an American. I mean, people are waving flags, crying. Every redneck, this side of Mississippi and the other is there. And I'm like, I have found my people. And Blair is like, what is my life? I did not know this was gonna happen. I said yes to Mary and Carl. It was as crazy and as comical as you could imagine. But I'll tell you one dynamic specifically I just wanted to speak to that really was wild to me because they did Bible studies, they did panels, they did entertainment shows, they did all this stuff. But what struck me is no matter where you went on the boat, you would just see the cast hanging out and then you could just hang out with them. You could walk up to the pool, there'd be Martin sitting right there. You could go grab some lunch and there'd be Uncle Si being like, what up, Jack? I mean, you, they're just there and they wouldn't go anywhere. As a matter of fact, Blair and I, we went to the pool one day and Godwin was there. Y'all know Godwin? I mean, he's the guy that's always like, I need a sandwich, that guy. And we take a picture with him and he's just in no hurry. And I mean, really no hurry. I start asking him questions. And what's really funny is I kind of pulled back. He never took his arm off of Blair for like the next 20 minutes while I was talking to him. He would just be like, what do you think, little mama? And he just kept talking to her. Afterwards, Blair was like, that was a little awkward. You should have brought that conversation to a close. And I was like, he wasn't going anywhere. He just, he's asking me questions. And I was like, don't y'all get tired of all this? And they were like, are you kidding? All these fascinating people. I go sit down at one place. Martin sits next to me, talks to me for about an hour, telling us Sai's never seen the show. He's like, why would people watch this? I just didn't get it. I mean, I'm just cracking up at this, at this experience. Now, here's what struck me about it. I've met different celebrities in my life. I've bumped into my childhood hero, Tony Dorsett, running back for the Cowboys in the, in the Galleria. I met Desmond Howard from College Game Day, if y'all are Game Day fans. I've met these different ones who are just like, okay, please don't tell anybody I'm here. Here's my autograph, and then you can leave. They're polite, but then they move on. And I told Blair, I think what struck me about our Duck Dynasty cruise, besides everything that we encountered in the week, was also the fact that they don't give you the sense of they are just tolerating you. Because I think we've all experienced that from somebody. We know what it's like to be tolerated. We also know the stark difference when someone is actually enjoying us. And what happens when you get into the celebrity world is just to survive, you gotta keep all of us normal people down here at the bottom of, of, the, of the status wheel, of the ladder, of the rungs of society. Just to, so you got to stay in your green room. You got to keep your distance. And all of us are kind of down here. And then when, when a celebrity comes by and just like, hey, you just want to hang out? You're like, uh, me? And it kind of can mess with you. You're like, I don't quite get this. Now, why would I tell you all of this stuff about Duck Dynasty besides the fact that it's just awesome? It's because you've all know exactly what I meant when I said tolerated, enjoyed. I even got the little hmm from all of you, which means you kind of leaned into that moment, Right? That's what you need to feel when you just read the scripture you just stood and said out loud with me. Because you have a woman who is a virgin being told she's been touched by God, but something else is being told to her. In case you missed it, let me just read in a different version, make sure you get it. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You probably heard this phrase put together, you are blessed and highly favored. Anybody heard that? 
My amazing father-in-law, he reminds us of this all the time. He's always like, you're blessed and highly favored. It's the, it's the truth he wants to get inside of his family. It's a narrative he wants to, us to live from. And apparently from what I see from studying this scripture, and you can make the judgment for yourself, it seems like Mary is having to hear this over and over and over and over again because something is not quite sticking. She can understand tolerated. It doesn't quite seem blessed, highly favored, enjoyed, welcomed, wanted, is resonating with her. So much so that in the verse you read earlier, it said she was perplexed. Now, why would she be perplexed? Maybe it's because an angel from heaven's talking to her, telling her she's pregnant with God. So that's good enough to just kind of th- go, well, that just threw my day off in a direction I didn't see coming, okay? We'll give her some grace, all right? But I also need you to understand that the circumstances of her day did not lean itself to a 13, 14, 15-year-old peasant girl feeling blessed and highly favored. If you are here two weeks ago, we talked about a, a dictator king named Herod that we read about in the scriptures, And Herod had a bunch of things he was called. Y'all remember? He was called Herod the Great. He was a brute beast. He murdered tons of people. He was a force to be reckoned with, so they called him the King of the Jews. And in order to maintain his status, he became a friend of the Romans so that he could remain King of the Jews and keep being called the Great. Then an angel comes and sends a shot for all to hear that that's great, Herod. You're actually called all that, but like in 2022, no one's gonna remember any of that what they will remember is that Jesus actually was great. And he's the king, not just of the region or the Romans, he's the king of all kings. And he didn't come to just try to mooch off certain people and try to get into certain camps. He came to be the friend of sinners that people like you and me on our worst day could remember we have a friend. And the the total upper echelon of society got flipped upside down. Now, that's true for Herod. Herod was the king. Somebody tell me, who was the emperor? Caesar Augustus, if you've ever seen like Charlie Brown's Christmas, you remember this, right? If you haven't, maybe you've read Luke 2, verse 1. Luke detailed notes. He says, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. His name was not originally Augustus. It was Octavian. And what you need to know about this cat is that he is an amazing leader in his own right, but he's not on track to be the emperor. But when Julius Caesar, who you've heard of, died, they read his will and he had taken Octavian, who was his great nephew and had adopted him. And so in the process, he changes his name to Augustus and he becomes the son of Julius Caesar. He goes right to work, making sure that the people feel safe, and that the military feats that he needs to accomplish happen. So as a result, they had a name for him. It was Soter, which means the people's savior. Then Julius Caesar, because he died, he was deified by the Roman Senate, meaning they believed he was a god. So then they called his new adopted son, Augustus, the son of God. And because of his prowess and the the genius that he brought to the table, He ushered in what was called at that time the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And so the people called him the bringer of peace. Actually, some scholars say he was actually called the prince of peace. And his inauguration, his administration was touted all throughout the land as good news. This is the exact phrase in your Bible that is substituted for the word gospel. So it's no wonder 
that a peasant girl is saying, right, well, if I'm Roman, I get all those perks that come with the deal. But I'm Jewish. I get none of that. In fact, I get oppressed by that. I get bullied by that. I'm outside the entire genre of people who get touched by this. You would understand why she is sitting here going, I'm, I'm what? I'm blessed and highly favored? And it would be understandable for her to be absolutely confused and asking, could it be that I could be on heaven's radar? Well, because like I said, she didn't catch it the first time. The angel keeps saying it over and over again. I love this in verse 30. He says this, got that one. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There it is. He's trying to make sure she gets it. Then he goes over to verse 35. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He will be called son of God. Do you see the direct shot he's making at the political powers of that day? But he's just making sure she knows, no, you're blessed. You're favored. God sees you. Then he tells her her relative is also miraculously pregnant. Her name is Elizabeth. So Mary trots off to go see Elizabeth. And then you kind of feel that moment. You ever been in a, in a life group or a big setting when they're like, we're all gonna go around and encourage you. And so they're like, this is what I love. And certain people are just like, okay, we can, we can stop now. That was two, that's enough. Like that's kind of what's happening. Mary just keeps getting showered with this encouragement. Elizabeth sees her and exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb, John the Baptist, leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that it would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed, highly favored, blessed, blessed, blessed. Mary, Mary just can't get away from this truth hitting her over and over again. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. It just keeps being said over and over again. And I just kept meditating on these verses this week. And I, I literally, I had this moment where I just thought, what's the harder truth to believe? Is it that a virgin is pregnant with the son of God? Or is it that a peasant girl outside of the status ladder of her day is being called blessed and highly favored by God. Now, all the women in the room are like, I can't believe we're even asking this question. I mean, to wake up one day, and by the end of the day, find out you're pregnant with the son of God. I think Mary would probably be like, yeah, that one got me, guys. I don't know, if that, you need to, Carl, to break that apart for you, okay? That probably would rule out, but I have to wonder what kind of close second, that, sec that truth that she is blessed, favored, seen by God, because she just keeps reiterating that this is striking to her. A little later, verse 48, you see her say these words, for he, meaning God, took notice of his lowly servant girl. Meaning she's not walking around going, she might know God loves her, but she's not, God loves me, he's on my side, he's relentless, he's, he's enjoying me. She's having a little bit of a hard time believing this truth is a different narrative at play. Okay, I got a question for all of you. Has anyone in here heard of a, an author by the name of Charles Martin? Anybody heard of him? I'm seeing a few hands. I had never heard of him until about a year ago because he writes fiction and I'm not a fiction guy, okay? However, 
I am an all or nothing guy. So once I read one of his books, I read like 12 of his books in a row, okay? And getting into his books, a lot of his books are about someone who goes on a daring rescue mission to take those who have been disadvantaged, they've been taken advantage of, they have been left or abused, and he rescues them. And I won't, don't want to blow a whole lot of storylines, so I'll just keep it vague. But in a nutshell, there's this relationship that goes on often between the rescued and the rescuer. And in one case, it turns romantic, and you watch this relationship unfold. And the rescued the rescuer actually falls in love with the rescued. You see them date and you actually see this moment. He goes to his knee. He proposes, ask her to marry him. And then what happens next blows his mind because instead of the Hollywark, Hollymark, Hallmark movie ending occurring, she just stands there dejected. And the moment turns sour. He can't figure it out and then learns, oh, was that a proposal? I thought you were breaking up with me. Which, if you're a man, you're like, I could do that in a heartbeat. You know, we get that. We just totally miscommunicate. But this author took it deeper. He wrote some words, and actually, I don't underline a whole lot in fiction books, but I found myself underlining this, and I want you to tell me if you think it's fiction or nonfiction. When he hears that she thought he was breaking up with her, he says the difference between what she heard and what I intended, or even what I thought I said, is evidence that the stuff in the pipe is real. That what we breathe in and what we breathe out can actually alter the words that are spoken so they fit a false narrative. But pain, like fear, is a liar. And it has but one lie. This love is too good to be true. And even if it were true, you don't deserve it. Which is a lie from the pit of hell. And I found myself laughing at myself as I'm highlighting a fiction book. Because while this is a fictitious story, I don't think that this moment is actually too far off from what a lot of us actually face. He's saying that what's inside of us could alter what we hear from others. So others could be trying to communicate, I love you, and the narrative of I'm tolerated could be unconsciously playing in your soul and do damage and alter the words being spoken. So I was talking about this with a psychologist friend of mine and I told him about this dynamic. He agreed. This is a fictitious story for sure. But the dynamic of what occurred there is actually not fiction. We actually have a term for it in the psychology world. And it's this, the internal saboteur or the inner saboteur, meaning something that is below the surface. You don't even really realize is there. And it is bent on sabotaging messages of love and mercy coming your direction. So you see it easily if someone is in an abusive relationship and they keep going back and the rest of us are like, why are you doing that? Because an internal saboteur is unleashing a narrative telling them they don't deserve anything but that. Easy to spot when it's somebody else. Harder to spot when it's yourself and trying to figure out what are these inner saboteur messages that could be sabotaging the mercy and the love of God. And at times I've wondered, it feels like everybody else is catching something. I'm not getting it. And this understanding that there could be narratives at play, altering words coming from God or others has been really critical for me. And I do this, you know, in, a, in, in our class, we do call pause where we unpack this a, a little bit more. And so it's hard to get into all of it. So if you can do the class with us in January if you want to, but this is, I'm not doing that for the sake of a promo. I'm trying to say this. I want you to realize that if you had come to me, especially in this last year and said, do you believe Carl, God loves you? I'm like, Yes. Could you preach a sermon on that? Yes. Series on that? Yes. Lead a life group on that? Yes. 
Okay, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking at your core of your being, do you feel like a complicated hot mess? Yes. And what I began to see is I actually view myself, I think I view God the way I view myself. So if I believe that I'm a complicated hot mess and I'm just kind of putting up with me, then I believe God is just putting up with me too. Would I say that? Absolutely not. And I could preach a message on the love of God while living with a false narrative all at the same time. Are you with me? So here's why that becomes so important. Because if I don't understand that that's the narrative that's playing in the back of my head, then what I said two weeks ago will just go right past you. Meaning, I said a couple weeks ago, you are loved. It's hard to experience that and to believe that. But the truth of the matter is that you probably spent some portion of your week last week trying to be what you already are in God's eyes, in your eyes. And you could have felt a degree of, God, I just kind of put up with all my crud and my hot mess. And you don't even realize that could be a narrative that you believe God is tolerating you. And you would say the exact opposite, but that's not what we're asking. Not what can you say? What do you know? We're asking at the emotional, experiential level, what do you actually experience? Here's why I want you to hear that. Because if you don't know that that's what's happening, if you're not on a mission, Holy Spirit, highlight these narratives, these lies. I want you to, to, to bring them down with the truth of the word of God. If you're not aware, then what happens is you show up in church on a given Sunday. And some coach like Carl walks up to the stage and says, all right, everybody, if you will, let's stand to our feet. Let's go. Let's give a shout of praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's good. Everybody say he's good. And you'll do it. And you'll something inside of you like, I believe that. I want that. I'm exhausted. And so you're like in a resistant acceptance. I believe what he's saying and I'm exhausted at the thought of having to be all that energy up there. Especially on December 18th. It's like some of y'all already nodded off right now. It's okay. You get your Sabbath rest. I believe in that. But then something inside of you says, I don't have what it takes to push up this hill anymore. Truth of the matter is you can actually notice some of those narratives at play by the degree of what your worship looks like at the heart level. I'm not talking about are you jumping up and down and hands up. That's all I'm talking about. I'm talking about how much you experience the revelation of who God is and can bring that back to him in worship. So what will end up happening is you'll, you'll feel these hype messages, let's go for it, and something will pull back. And I was reading from, again, about Eugene Peterson, and I just thought this was brilliant. He made the comment that a lot of us feel that. We feel this we know how to pray in the active voice. We know how to get our strength up and to bang on the doors of heaven. I hope you all have that muscle because if you don't, you're gonna need it one day and you want that to be built up. But some of us, we only have that muscle. And when that muscle caves in or we don't see what we want, then we go into the passive voice, which is just, well, God's gonna do what he wants to do anyway. I shouldn't, don't have to pray about it. So we have active and we have passive, which are two extremes. Eugene Peterson says, introduces that there's something called praying in the middle voice. And he, he invites us to look at the Virgin Mary as a classic example of this. Look at verse 34 and notice what happens here. I believe this is an invitation from God to all of us today. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? So she's presenting her impossibility. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. Now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age. She has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. Notice everything I've said, 
Mary has done nothing to initiate any of that. This is not Mary in the act of pushing. She is stepping into what God has already initiated. For nothing will be impossible with God, the angel said. Then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. I love that she now, after all these encounters, she's clear, I am a servant of the Lord. She knows her identity. And now she starts to pray in the middle voice. She begins to participate with God. So instead of like, it's all on me to break through the possibilities or never mind, I'll just sit over here and let everybody else do it. and We'll see what happens. There's a middle gap where she steps into and says, I want to participate with you, Lord. In your case, reveal the narratives to me, Lord, that you want to overcome. What are you already doing, Lord, that I can join you? This will eventually exhaust you and this will take you out of the game. And so God initiates with us something there in the middle that invites us into this. My prayer is even over these next few weeks as you have some sort of Christmas holiday break, something that you just can be able to look around and see, God, what are you already doing? Put identity on me as your daughter, as your son, as your friend. And I want to partner with you, Lord. I want to do this with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you see the difference? One, the weight is all on your shoulders to carry the football across the goal line. And one, you let go and walk away completely. And one says, no, God says, let's move a little slower and let's do this together. It's obvious that this takes a, makes a major mark on Mary because what Mary does next is about a nine or 10 verse worship song that it just explodes out of her soul. You need to see the, the formula, not the formula, but I should say the way that this progressed. It wasn't, hey, Mary, you're not worshiping. Good Christians worship and they're all gonna be mirroring you for like you know, centuries. So could you please get up and do something for God? Instead, the favor, the revelation of God's mercy is coming after her. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this treatment. I don't deserve this kindness. And as a result, a song burst out of her. Worship burst out of her because she can't help it. I'm just sitting here partnering with God. He's doing the impossible in me. I don't deserve this. Watch the word mercy. Watch the themes that come out of this. This is actually the very first Christmas carol. I don't think I've ever sung a Christmas carol with these words. Maybe, James Mark, you need to get off your hiney and put some music to this. But Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Actually, in Latin, that's magnif magnificat, which is what this is, this is called for, for many. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. Do you see the society's ladder thing? It's not messing with Mary. That he has lifted up the lowly, speaking of herself and Elizabeth and others. He's filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. It's just a beautiful theme. According to the promises he made thousands of years ago to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Isn't that a beautiful song? 
Your Bible will have that subtitle, Mary's Song of Praise, that she didn't muster up and have to do. She was the benefactor of a shower of mercy that released a song. I believe that today God wants to begin that song release in you by beginning to just begin to tear down some of those narratives that I'm tolerated versus I'm enjoyed. But what I'm not going to do right now is do something and hype everybody up and stand up and we're going to yell, we're enjoyed. Okay, we're not going that direction. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And as I've said week after week, you standing in front of a mirror and just chanting something over and over and over isn't necessarily going to hurt you. It just doesn't always work to click inside of your soul. Instead, sitting under that shower of mercy and the word of God can light something up inside of you that exposes narratives and makes you just cry and say, Lord, you're too kind that you would come and you would reveal this as a tender-hearted father who would just be right there with me by the pool, in the cafe, throughout the day, in my car, just exposing this and bringing light to me. So as we close, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet. And we're gonna sing a song called The Heart of God that is just a beautiful rendition of the mercy of God. But I want you to go back to these four statements one more time. Would you read them with me? One, two, three. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus or maybe you've pulled back throughout the years, what we've just been describing today is something we call the real gospel. You know, Caesar Augustus was called a savior, prince of peace. He was called the son of God and it was good news but most likely you don't remember any of those facts. Jesus to this day offers to be a prince of peace in your life that gives you peace. And you don't get that peace because of how good you are. You actually get it because of the mercy of God because Jesus died on a cross and came back to life after living a perfect life so that you could have grace for the impossible to happen in your life. Meaning the sin that you don't deserve to be forgiven could be forgiven. In the relationship with God that you don't deserve to have, you could be given through the cross of Jesus Christ. So today, we're actually celebrating a manger and a cross, a baby coming and offering you something you don't deserve. But your God is not just tolerating you. He's been enjoying you your whole life. Does he love everything you do? Does he enjoy everything you do? No, he doesn't. But he's drawing you this morning with cords of loving kindness saying, I want you to know what it feels like to be washed by mercy today. That could be the song that releases out of you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you could do that right now. And if you have done that today, then it might just be you need to sing this song and you need to let these truths wash over you. And just evaluate, is there a narrative I'm believing, God, that you want to expose that's altering the words of your heart to mine? to move me from tolerated to enjoyed. So if you would close your eyes, our ministry team is gonna make their way to the front because I know some of you are gonna say, would you pray with me? I got some narratives and I need some prayer. I've got something else going on and I need some prayer. So our teams will be up here for you to come to. But for everybody else, just sit in this moment. Again, if you've never given your life to Jesus, just pour your heart out to God like Mary did. You might just say, God, I need you in my life. separated from you because of my sin and I need your forgiveness 
and I need your love. I believe you are the Son of God. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the Savior of the world. And today I make you the Lord of my life. Wash me with your mercy, God. Lord, for anyone who just prayed that prayer, would you do that right now? Would you fill them with the Holy Spirit and cover them, protect them, protect that seed inside of them that said yes to you? For everybody in this room today, if there's been narratives at play, which we all got them, start to reveal them with the mercy of God right now in Jesus' name. If you want prayer, come to the front. If not, make this song your prayer.